Welcome to the Millennial Merlot podcast, where we blend true crime, tales from within the staffing industry, and a breakdown on world events. Whenever world events unfold, whether it's good, bad, juicy, or toxic, I will be here wine in hand, ready to share my thoughts. Enjoy the show. Today, we'll be discussing a case with details usually found in blockbuster thrillers, where a decorated Boston police officer's death marks only the beginning of a mind-blowing saga. Picture a snowy night, a seemingly innocent night of bar hopping with friends, and then suddenly a police officer is discovered lifeless outside the home of another police officer. But that's just the beginning. This is the story of John O'Keefe and Karen Reed. This case lands where secrets and lies collide and where justice seems to be elusive. The story you're about to hear is unfortunately very real and still developing today. And at the heart of all of it lies the burning question, what really happened to John O'Keefe that night? Throughout this episode, you'll probably be wondering if a successful South Shore woman really killed her boyfriend or if a group of dirty cops framed her. For me, it's hard to imagine a real-life situation where a bunch of cops and detectives and court officials, sergeants, investigators, and first responders would all be in on the same elaborate frame job. But then again, crazier things have happened. So who was John O'Keefe? John O'Keefe, a 16-year veteran of the Boston Police Department, not only served with distinction, but also opened his heart to care for his niece and nephew following the tragic loss of their parents, his sister and brother-in-law. This selfless act truly reflects the kind of person that John was. So he was not only beloved in his community and was a loving guardian to these two kids, but also had an excellent reputation for being genuinely a good person, making people enjoy his company. And honestly, I've only heard positive things about him. Like he seemed like a genuinely great person. In addition to his commitment to his family and community, John had a girlfriend named Karen Reed, who excelled as an accountant and equity analyst with a strong track record in the financial industry, and she also served as a part-time professor at Bentley University. The couple had been together for around two years, and while there were occasional fights, they appeared genuinely happy together, and they've known each other for over a decade. Fast forward to January of 2022. During a snowy night out, Karen and John bumped into a group of familiar faces at the bar. Among them were Chris Albert and Brian Albert, who are brothers, and Matthew and Jennifer McCabe, a married couple. Brian Albert is not your typical police officer, guys. We got to talk about this guy. He is one of the highest earning sergeant detectives for the Boston Police Department. He was featured on the hit show Boston's Finest. He's a trained professional boxer and he's the lead for the Boston Fugitive Apprehension Team. So basically, guys, he's a fucking badass. Like he's a scary dude. Like you're not going to start shit with somebody like this and expect to get away unscathed. Um, According to Karen, though, it always seemed surprising to see Brian Albert out with people because he never seemed to be enjoying himself and didn't really strike her as someone who enjoyed socializing. Security footage from that night showed the group drinking pretty heavily, I might add, and Karen apparently consumed a total of nine vodka sodas. I'd like to point out that she is a tiny little thing. Like, she looks like she weighs 100 pounds, and I know that nine drinks would absolutely 
annihilate me. So I, I can't even imagine. You know, security footage also showed Karen and John having a good time. They were being kind of lovey-dovey. And the two would eventually be invited to somewhat of an after party at the Albert residence on Fairview Road. So everyone left. I mean, it was close to closing time anyway, but everyone piled into their cars and drove toward 34 Fairview Road. And apparently Karen and John sat outside that house for a minute when Karen then decided that she would probably just drop him off. I'm assuming that because it was after midnight, she was probably just tired. Either that or she just wasn't interested in going to a house party at the age of 42, especially during a major blizzard. Because apparently this night was one of the most serious blizzards in Massachusetts history. I mean, come on, she's a successful accountant, a professional woman. I mean, I'm 31 and you will not ever catch me at an after party. Like seriously, guys, let's let's grow up a little bit. According to Karen though, John grabbed the drink that he had supposedly taken from the bar. He got out of the car and headed towards the residence and, and got to the door. Once he got to the door, Karen slowly drove away and headed home. Some speculate though that the couple argued a lot and on the night in question, Karen was trying to reach John by calling and texting him after she dropped him off. When he didn't respond, she allegedly texted him one last time telling him that she hated him. It's kind of dramatic, but I could see a drunk Karen being belligerent after feeling slighted by her boyfriend, especially since the two argued about him leaving her with his two kids while he stayed out partying all the time. According to Karen, it was actually the most common reason for their fights. Karen wakes up close to 5 a.m. realizing that not only did John never return a single one of her calls, he never texted her back, but he never even came home. So Karen starts calling around to see if anyone knew where he was, and one of those people was a woman by the name of Julie, who is Chris Albert's wife. Everyone who attended the party that night said that they hadn't seen John or that he never showed up to the party that night. This obviously puzzled Karen because like I said, she saw him walk up to the door and also guys, don't forget, it's a huge blizzard out. It was like 18 degrees. So it's not like he'd be chilling outside or walking somewhere else. And if he needed a ride, surely he would have called Karen back, but no, it was radio silence. So around 6 a.m., Karen, Julie, and Jennifer McCabe are together in a car driving around the neighborhood looking for John when Karen sees him lying in the snow right outside the house, the house, Brian Albert's home. 34 Fairview Road. She ran up to him to render aid and immediately noticed that he was gravely injured. She noticed two black eyes and blood all over his face and he had clearly been out in the snow for hours because he was unresponsive. He was taken to the hospital shortly thereafter where he was pronounced dead at 7.50 a.m. His injuries were as follows. He had two black eyes that were purple and swollen. He had a broken nose and blood all over his face. He had a two and a half inch laceration to the back of his head. He had defense wounds on his hands and arms. He had a large laceration that resembled a bite mark from what looked to be a large animal. On top of that, he had severe hypothermia, which contributed to his death. I don't know about you guys, but to me, that sounds like this man was in a nasty fight. Like it sounds like he was jumped and that perhaps a large dog got involved to protect its owner. Well, it turns out that Brian Albert did have a dog. He had a German Shepherd named Chloe. Hmm, interesting. One of Karen's attorneys, Alan Jackson, would later present an argument in court, asserting that the injuries on John's arm were consistent with claw and bite marks from an animal. 
They formally requested the court to encourage the family to produce the German Shepherd for examination, with the aim of comparing her teeth to the wounds. Oddly enough, the Albert family got rid of Chloe just four months after John's death. This decision strikes me as odd. Personally, I wouldn't give my dog away for all the money in the world, so it begs the question, why would the Albert family make this choice unless they had something to hide? Karen's defense attorneys also claim that health and location data retrieved from John's phone show him going up and down a flight of stairs after entering the home on Fairview Road. There are indeed three flights of stairs in Brian's house, and the data also revealed that John walked hundreds of steps within the same time frame. The prevailing theory here is that John was viciously attacked in the basement, and you might be wondering, well, why in the basement? Because it was later disclosed that the Albert family removed and replaced the basement floors shortly after that night. But it doesn't stop there. The Albert family took the extraordinary step of filling in their pool with cement, and then they proceeded to put the house up for sale entirely. More red flags than a Canadian gift shop, am I right? So a man by the name of Michael Proctor enters the situation. He is the state police trooper that was leading the criminal investigation, immediately arrested Karen for manslaughter, claiming that she had hit John with her car and then left him to die in the snow. I'm sorry, but that was not the conclusion that I made when I learned of John's injuries. But what do I know? I mean, I'm just a millennial recruiter with a microphone. They apparently came to this conclusion when they learned that Karen had a cracked taillight and that they found pieces of that taillight near John's body. They also stated that Karen had asked if it was possible that she hit John with her car while being in the presence of a first responder on the scene. When looking at all these pieces of evidence in conjunction with those angry text messages, it was obvious that they believed that she was angry enough with her boyfriend to kill him with her car and then leave him to die in the middle of a blizzard. One thing though that I wonder is if she really hit him with her car and knew it, why would she then be texting him telling him that she hated him? Like if she really hit him, why would she then leave such an incriminating message on his phone? Because wouldn't that leave investigators right to her? I don't know. It doesn't really seem that plausible to me, but next thing we know, Karen is in court for her arraignment with her criminal defense attorney, David Yannetti, and Reed is now facing life in prison. Not long after the arraignment, a much darker theory about what went down that night started to surface. Apparently after the arraignment that day, David Yannetti was driving back home when he got a call from someone who had apparently called his office before. So the guy on the phone was obviously trying to disguise his voice and he also provided a fake name, but he told Yannetti, quote, your client is innocent. John got beat up by Brian Albert and his nephew. They broke his nose. And when John O'Keefe didn't wake up, Brian and another federal agent dumped his body on the front lawn, end quote. So it turns out that Brian's nephew is a punk kid by the name of Colin Albert. And apparently he and John O'Keefe had a long history of beef. Apparently Colin would make a habit of going onto John's property, triggering the security alarm and yelling for John to go fuck himself. And then proceeding to throw empty beer cans into the bushes on his front lawn. 
On another occasion, when both John and Karen were gone on a vacation, John checked his ring cameras after learning that there was someone on the property, and he opened the camera feature and saw Colin Albert sitting in a chair on his driveway and holding up the middle finger. So this is why I call him a punk. But more importantly, he was at the Albert residence the night of John's death. Which is weird, right? Because when asked who attended the party that night, they listed 11 people, and conveniently, the 18-year-old Colin Albert wasn't one of them. But why would they lie about him being there? Some speculate that Colin may have been very involved in the crime that night, and that it could have serious consequences for his life, leading them to believe that it would just be best to keep his attendance a secret in order to shield him from potential prosecution. Also, the state police trooper who was leading the criminal investigation, Michael Proctor, it turns out that he is a close friend of the Albert family. And I mean, very close. Apparently their families are so close that they attend each other's weddings, they go on vacations together, and they spend many summer afternoons at family barbecues. I even saw a picture on Facebook from Michael Proctor's sister's wedding. Guess who was the ring bearer? Colin Albert. So this is clearly a conflict of interest. I mean, a lead criminal investigator just happens to be close family friends with the family who lives inside the house where a dead body was found and the house owner isn't even questioned. Of course, Michael Proctor is going to stray away from involving Brian Albert. And of course, he's going to go straight for Karen Reed. Also, it's important to note that the morning that John O'Keefe was found, not a single resident of 34 Fairview Road came outside to address the situation. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be a sergeant detective to acknowledge that there's a dead body, first responders, and police officers outside your house, and have the decency to come outside, and yet Brian Albert stayed inside, giving the impression that he had no idea what was going on and therefore couldn't be bothered. And shit got even weirder when it was discovered that someone inside that very house on that night conducted a chilling Google search at 2.27 a.m. The haunting search read, quote, how long to die in the cold, unquote. And the person behind this search? Well, it was Jennifer McCabe. What would possibly compel her to seek out that kind of information? Well, I mean, obviously, if she's inside the house that John's lifeless body was discovered outside of, it doesn't take a genius to come to the conclusion that she knew about John's body being outside in the snow before anyone else, especially when you recall that John wasn't even discovered until after 6 a.m. As Karen Reed's legal proceedings continued, something extraordinary started to happen. A movement supporting her surged across the internet with people from all walks of life joining the cause. They have been seen rallying on the courthouse steps and all over the internet. People are literally buying free Karen Reed shirts and marching all over the state. It's pretty remarkable. It's even said that Karen Reed supporters have donated over $150,000 to her defense fund. I mean, wow. This passionate outcry and backing for Karen Reed, it really reminds me of the huge outcry that we saw for Stephen Avery when that Making a Murderer documentary came out. Have you guys seen the uh, Daily Wire Plus documentary called Convicting a Murderer? It's got like 10 episodes and Candace Owens and her investigation team dug into all the stuff that the original documentary got wrong. They basically showed that the creators of the documentary led their viewers down the wrong path and it turns out 
that Stephen Avery actually did commit the murder that he was accused of. Wild, right? Mind-blowing. I mean, I went years after watching Making a Murderer thinking that a man was wrongfully imprisoned, and while I'm going off on somewhat of a tangent, I have to ask, do you guys think it would be crazier if we found out that Karen Reed actually killed John O'Keefe, or if we found out that the Boston Police Department actually conspired to frame an innocent woman. It really is hard for me to believe that a group of cops would be willing to watch an innocent woman rot in prison for the rest of her life if it meant that they could keep their freedom. But I don't know. I cannot get over that Google search. And I'm not the only one. Aiden Kearney aka Turtle Boy. He is an award-winning journalist and a blogger. He's the one that's at the forefront of the movement for Karen Reed. Like, he's the one leading the charge for transparency and fairness. His relentless dedication to uncovering the truth resonates with the masses. And um, with every YouTube video, he has really rallied support for her and has kept the momentum going. I was watching one of his YouTube videos the other day, and I saw that he actually confronted Jennifer McCabe in person while she was seen out at a sports game. He went live, he put his camera in front of her face, and asked straight up why she made that Google search. Ballsy, am I right? It was definitely an audacious move for sure, but it's the kind of question that demands an answer. Like, who doesn't want the answer to that question? Well, apparently, Turtle Boy has been confronting a handful of folks who seem to be central to this case. So he has called Colin Albert directly. Some of his fans have confronted Brian Albert after bumping into him at a bar and asking about his involvement. And this has actually led Aiden to find himself being arrested with a staggering 16 different charges, seven of them being felonies for witness intimidation. From what I've learned, if he's convicted of all seven felonies, he'll be facing like 70 to 80 years in prison. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought there were laws that protected journalists from prosecution, right? Like, it's so crazy that he's being charged for witness intimidation when it only appears that he's reporting on a case, unless I'm missing something. I mean, the mere fact that they're going after him only leads me to believe that the state is willing to do everything they can to silence those who challenge the narrative that Brian Albert and his shithead nephew didn't kill John O'Keefe. Don't come for me next. I'm just saying it's hard to ignore the growing suspicion that there's more to the story than meets the eye. The fact that Turtle Boy has been targeted and is now facing a potential life sentence, it only strengthens the belief that Karen Reed might actually be innocent and that there's a concerted effort to suppress the truth. As the movement for Karen Reed grows, so does scrutiny of the Boston Police Department. The Boston community is totally divided right now, and there are even petitions being signed by Massachusetts residents demanding that the police department be looked into in connection with not only the John O'Keefe case, but rumored injustices that date back decades. Donations continue to flood in for Karen Reed's defense, basically transforming it into a symbol of hope, much like the fun for the Stephen Avery defense. The parallels between these two cases, I just can't get over it. They're pretty uncanny. But I'd be willing to bet that the biggest difference in the Karen Reed case is that she's actually innocent. The movement supporting Karen Reed has transcended geographical boundaries. I mean, people from all over the country are joining the fight, marching for justice, wearing free Karen Reed shirts, and really demanding the truth. So here we are. Her trial is set to take place on March 12th of this year, 2024. I am just dying to see if Brian Albert will take the stand. 
And if he is, maybe then he'll be asked what exactly prompted him to get rid of his favorite dog, Chloe, seemingly out of the blue, and what he was trying to accomplish by filling his pool with cement, why he immediately replaced the basement floor right after John's death, and why the hell he sold his house shortly thereafter. Just like the Google search question, I'm dying to get the answers to these ones. And I wanna leave you with the same burning frustration that I feel. If Karen Reed, is convicted of murdering John O'Keefe, I believe it will be a grave injustice. The evidence against her simply does not add up, and I argue that it's not at all strong enough to put her away for life. It's my firm belief that her conviction would erode the trust in the overall justice system and law enforcement in Massachusetts in general. I'll definitely be covering this trial every step of the way, leaving no stone unturned and doing my very best to bring you all the tea. While I'm a very new podcaster, I'm nosy as shit, y'all, and I live for trials like this. So stay tuned to my show because I'll be here sharing all the juicy updates. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Cheers.